Okay, let me uh, begin this morning by speaking to you about two things. Two things. I want to speak to you in the introduction about, one, the Passover, and two, my mum. Okay? Two things. Sorry, it's the introduction. The Passover and my mum. So, uh, let's deal with the easier one first. The Passover. Okay, so what's... What's the deal with the Passover? Well, especially since we just, Harrison has kindly read this for us in Exodus chapter 12. I know, confidently, you know the details of the Passover. You know what's going on when I talk to you about the Passover. That is fine. What I would actually ask you to do, though, right now, is to call call the details of that meal. Call those details to mind. Will you do that with me just now, the Passover? So what are we dealing with? Where were the people? People of God were... Yeah, don't pass that by. They're in slavery in Egypt. Now, they're under the horrors of enemy rule. And we all know what God's about to do, don't we? The Passover, God is about to deliver uh, them. Yeah, he's about to send the destroyer uh, over uh, the land. What's the only way that the people can survive? The only way that they can survive is if they take part in this uh, memorial, this this special meal, the Passover. They have to take a spotless lamb into their home for four days to identify it. Then they have to kill and eat the lamb, don't they? But we've got to get the details right, uh, I think. See, they have to roast the lamb. They have to do this at twilight. They have to ensure that none of the bones of this lamb are broken. And then what do they have to do? They have to take the blood from this lamb and they have to administer it to their homes, to their doors and to their lintels. Everyone understands that. What happens next? Once the people are freed and delivered from Egypt, we know, don't we, that the people of God had to observe that ceremonial meal once a year from that point on. Isn't that right? It's perpetual that on the anniversary of the Passover, the people of God were to celebrate this great deliverance. Okay, there's the Passover. What was the second thing that I was going to talk to you about? I'm going to talk to you about my mum. I've got to be really careful with this because there's a chance my mum might listen to the sermon. <laughs> so I've got to be very careful and fifth commandment and all that. But my mum can't be uh, a little bit crazy. I'm sure she did that uh, about herself. You know these... Um, reminder applications that you get on a smartphone a reminder app everybody knows that you know they go for the thing my mum is a walking reminder application in my life okay my mum lives to remind me about upcoming events that seems to be her purpose so it'll be you know three o'clock in the morning and my phone there'll be a text on my phone and i'll check it and it'll be you know are you remembering that it's your nephew's birthday you've got to get a present for next week or i'll get an email and there'll be no niceties or no other uh, information it'll just be are you remembering to send a card to your auntie and uncle for their anniversary okay now here's the thing about this don't tell her she's gonna be in church next week and the week after do not tell her this but actually it's a good thing don't tell her because she will intensify all of these reminders and it'll get worse and worse and worse but i probably need it the reality is if i didn't have that and those reminders i would probably forget a lot of these things in my life now maybe you're thinking Especially if you're new to church, maybe you're thinking he is as crazy as his mother. But you stick with me a moment. Because what I want you to do is to try to envisage the scene in Numbers chapter 9 with me. So imagine you're there. Imagine you're looking down from the hill, down into the valley, down into the wilderness of Sinai. 
If you were there, what would you see? The people of God in their camp. You would see just a plethora of tents, wouldn't you? And you would see hundreds of thousands of people, and they're all milling about, and they're really active at this point. Why? Because they're all preparing to go on a journey. Isn't that what we've seen over the last number of weeks in Numbers chapter this book, haven't we? They're all getting ready, preparing everything, tabernacle, Levites, everything, to make this journey to the promised land. Now, I ask you, what happens now? What happens here in Numbers 9? Did everyone pick up on what happens? God speaks, and like my mum, God reminds the people of Israel of an upcoming date, doesn't he? God speaks here, and he reminds them not just that the Passover is to be celebrated. Here, God speaks, and he reminds them that soon upon them will actually be the first anniversary of the Passover after Exodus. It reminds them that here they have an opportunity to remember the first Passover outside Egypt. Now, in this section, the main emphasis, the main point of this section, I think, is to address a problem that the Passover kind of throws up. But how are we going to deal with this? I mean, when was the last time you took a, a lamb into your home? Like, we, don't, we don't do this, right? We, we don't observe the Passover anymore. What, what are we going to do? Well, there is, there is application for the Lord's Supper here. But I want to spell out to you the bottom line this morning. This morning in here, I want to speak to you if you are not believing in the Lord Jesus Christ for your eternal salvation. This morning, I want to speak to you if you are outside of a, if you do not have a personal saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, I need you to understand one critical thing. If we're going to get to grips with Numbers 9, you have to understand this. That effectively and essentially, the Passover existed to point and anticipate, point to the Lord Christ. Does everybody understand that? I mean, the Passover fundamentally, essentially, it, it, it foreshadowed our Lord Jesus and his work. I mean, you get it, do you? I mean, you consider maybe John's gospel. Do you know what happens at the end of John's gospel in John chapter 19? The, the author, the evangelist, he sees all of the details of this meal, all of them fulfilled. Where does he see them fulfilled? He sees them fulfilled at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who's on the cross? John tells us there's a lamb on the cross. When's he killed? Killed in the dark at twilight. All of his bones intact. Not a bone broken. Do you see the devious? And then we can add to that, can't we? Because wait a second, what does our Lord say himself? What is his own words? The lamb speaks to us and says to us, unless, the lamb says, unless we eat of his flesh, we have no part in him. And then you can even consider what Harrison preached on before Christmas. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and God the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul speaks to the church. He describes who Jesus is and what does he say to you? The Lord Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. And so you get it, don't you? I have to speak to you if you're not a believer today, and I have to, from this portion of scripture, appeal to you to come to the Passover lamb, to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, and to feed him today, to feed on him by faith. Now that is, of course, a 
a slightly more protracted introduction than we are used to. But you know what I'm going to say next? You know that I'm going to invite you to turn with me to the text, okay? We'll curtail the points, but I want you to have this portion of Scripture open in front of you. Maybe even the boys and girls can make sure that they've got an eye on Numbers chapter 9. And the first thing that I want us to consider is the continuing opportunity of the feast. The continuing opportunity of the feast. Okay, so what have I just said? Okay, I've just said not only does God remind the people about the Passover day is upon them, but I said to you, didn't I, that the main issue, the main thing, the main emphasis in this portion of Scripture is on a problem that this first Passover outside of Egypt throws up. So there's a problem in this text that is dealt with. So what do we need to know? We need to know what's the problem. Would everybody have a look at verse 6? Let's try and find verse 6 to see what the problem is. <coughs> skim over it with me. Just skim over it. What do you see? So you see, so the Passover has come in, but you see that a certain men, right? So it's, it's a group of men, and they come to Moses, and to be honest with you, they seem a little bit confused it's a group of men, we don't know how many, but they come and they're, 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 it's a bit of a quandary they've got, don't they? Because this is a group of guys and they actually want to partake in the Passover. So they want to come to the Passover lamb, they want to be part of the feast. What's the issue? The issue is that somehow, and we're not told, they have come in contact with a corpse. And because death, as we looked at in Numbers 5, death is so closely bound up with sin in God's sight, isn't it? Death so clearly speaks of rebellion against God. Because of that, these men are now ceremonially unclean. This is a group of guys who are defiled, they are contaminated by sin, and this is kind of throwing up into air their participation in the feast. Does everybody kind of get the problem? You can maybe imagine it, the group of guys coming to Moses, Moses, what do we do? Like, we're supposed to observe this Passover. Like, we want to come to this Passover lamb, we, we, but we're defiled, we're contaminated, Moses. What do we do about this? So you get the problem, everyone? Yeah. How's this resolved? What's the answer to this? I think, do you know what, just in passing, Christian friends, we should probably know how Moses deals with this quandary. Look at verse 8. Because it may very well be, if you're a Christian in, in here, that you are at this point facing uncertainties, that you've got quandaries in your life, you've got things you're just not sure how to deal with. How does Moses deal with this? Does Moses try and rustle up some answer of his own accord to this situation? No, not a bit of it. Do you know what? What's his first impulse? He takes his quandary, takes worry, takes this uncertainty immediately to God in prayer. He takes it to God. Isn't that something for us to follow? So in passing, we notice Moses' response, but ultimately we want to know, what does God say to these men, this problem? What does, what's God's response here? Well, I wonder if you would agree with this, that the attitude of God here, the attitude God displays in Numbers chapter 9 is, I'm going to say, entirely contrary to the way that God is portrayed by our society today. I just want you to think about the people in your life, those who are unbelieving and maybe even a little bit hostile to the Christian faith. I'm pretty sure we can all think about people in our lives who are like that. Now, if you were to speak to them about how God functions and how God works in the Old Testament, 
doesn't our society love to divide God between Old Testament and New Testament? But if, if you were to speak to them about how God works in the Old Testament, how would those people, those unbelieving people in your life, how would they speak about God? What would they say? Adjectives that they would use. They're going to say that God is harsh, right? God is cold. God is bloodthirsty. God's a cruel God in the Old Testament. Now, I am asking you, as you look at number, verse 11 here, numbers 9, verse 11, is that what you see from God? Just look at it. Do you see what he does? These men come to him with this predicament, this uncertainty, this problem, this dilemma. What does God do? Out of love, God provides for them, doesn't he? He makes provision. In fact, if you look at verse 11, you see that God actually sets out in law that people in this circumstance, that they can celebrate the Passover one month later, the, the, the second month. And indeed, if you look at the, the verse 10... Look how generous God is. Look how loving he is at the end of verse 10. He opens up the invitation. Look what he says. He says, even if you're defiled or even if you are on a long journey when the Passover is taking place, even if that's your situation, God says, come on, come. There's another opportunity. You're welcome. What's that? Is it harshness? Is that cruelty? Is God being bloodthirsty? What is it? How would you describe it? It's mercy. Right now in the book of Numbers, we are given this insight, this window into the merciful heart of a loving God. Now, friends, let me again return to you if you are not a Christian. Or if you're not trusting in Christ Jesus, interested maybe in the gospel, but not in Christ today. There are a whole host of obstacles that people face today in coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. I think we've got one right there, right at the top of the pile is people's confusion about sin, people's confusion about contamination. Very often people can think just like here that they cannot come to Jesus Christ. They cannot come to the Passover lamb because their sin, their contamination, it utterly rules them out. Might be, you know, it might be that is exactly where you are this morning in here. You're thinking like because of what you've done in your life, because the way that you are living your life, you're like you just this you're excluded from coming to the Passover lamb. You're excluded to coming to Jesus. Well, I am just desperate for you to see how Numbers nine should fill you with hope, because you've got to understand this little detail: the God of Numbers nine is the same God who stands over you today, offering you the, the good news of the gospel. Do you not see that? God does not change. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what does that mean for you? Despite your wickedness, despite your sin, despite whatever it is in your life, what's true? Mercy from Almighty God today is available to you. Mercy from God is available. Despite the contamination, despite the sin, defilement, whatever it might be, the door to the great Passover lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, is open. Like the way to the Passover lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, it is clear. And so like these guys, these certain men, you might be late to the party. Like your, your arrival here, your feasting might be delayed. But surely even this morning, at last, what you do, you come to the Lord Jesus Christ. You come to the lamb. You come behold, at last, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So we see continuing opportunity for you to feast. A second thing we've got to notice in this portion of scripture is the continuing offense 
of the feast, the continuing offence. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, I'm sure you're with me. We've heard a reminder on our phone go off. Like the Passover day is upon us. And we've seen God deal with this problem of these defiled men. And he's dealing with such love and such generosity and mercy. What, what happens next in this portion of scripture? I love what happens next in this portion of scripture. Because we've got here Moses and he's in the tabernacle. He's before God, the tabernacle, speaking to God about this problem. But it's almost as though this happens. It's almost as though Moses, as he turns to go from the tabernacle, it's almost as though God says to him, Ah, Moses, seeing as I've got you here, now that I've got you here, Moses, because what God does is use this very situation with these men to address another couple of matters to do with the Passover. So let's deal with the first of them. Now, this is what I'm going to ask everyone to do. And this point, the next point, I'm going to ask you to read one verse along with me. So can I point you to verse 13? And if you're a parent or you've got young kids near you, can you please show the kids the verse as well? So verse 13, let's see if we can find it. Okay, now, so God has said, right, for these defiled men, you can take the Passover. And then he says, hang on, Moses, there's the other side of the coin. Verse 13, but if anyone who is clean and is not on a journey, if they fail to keep the Passover, God says that they'll be, he says you're going to be punished. I read that again to you. If anyone is clean, if anyone is not on a journey and they fail to keep the Passover, they're going to be punished. Now, everyone in the room gets the fact that God here is issuing a warning. It's a really stern warning. They're going to, there's going to be punishment meted out here. What we need to be sure about is who exactly is in view. You get it, do you? Who are these people? These are people actually camped there. They are actually present amongst the people of Israel. Right? So they have opportunity to partake in this Passover meal. And these are people who are choosing not to do that, right? They're, they're not having any part of this Passover feast. Now, come on, like, why? Why? I mean, we're not told. What do you think, though? It could be that they're just lazy. You know, there's a lot of preparations to be done at a Passover feast. Could be that. Could be that they just don't recognize that this deliverance of God was such a great thing. Do you know what I think? Part of it could be just priorities. Like, Moses, we've got to go soon. We've got lots to do for this journey. Like we've got to get a tent right. We've got to get the kids right. We've got to get, you know, we've got crops to work. But you get it. Their heart is not right to God here. Everyone appreciates that, right? They're showing God disdain by disdaining this meal. They could partake, but they do not partake. Now, if we are really going to get our teeth into this, what we need to appreciate is the very nature of the punishment that God meets out. Look again at verse 13, because I did a disservice to the text, didn't I? I said that God punish or warns punishment. That's not exactly what God says. Look at verse 13. If these people, and they could eat, they could come to the lamb. They don't come to the lamb. They fail to do so. What does God say? Do you see the two words or not? God says, these people shall be cut off. So if you've been in here for numbers in this number series, what do you think is in view there? God's saying these people could be cut off. Maybe we're thinking it just means that they'll be put out of the camp for a little while. 
Maybe they'll just walk along in the wilderness alongside the people of God as they travel. Are we thinking that? It is not that. And it is so much more serious because look at the end of the verse. Look at the end of verse 13. God says these people will bear their sin. Do you see what God is saying to these people who are not partaking of the Lamb of God, who are showing disdain at this meal? God is saying, I am going to judge you. I am going to pour out my wrath against you because of the way that you are not partaking in this Passover meal. You are going to face my displeasure. Now that's heavy duty stuff, isn't it? But I do think as a congregation we can apply it in two different ways. First of all, we can take that and apply it for next Sunday morning. Everyone get it? If you're visiting... London City Presbyterian Church this morning. Probably helpful for you to know we've made a few changes to the life of the church in recent times. So the Kirk Session have agreed to increase the frequency of the Lord's Supper. So we come to the table of the Lord now one Sunday a month. Once a month we come and eat together. And I reckon everyone in this place understands that there's continuity of sorts between the Passover and the Lord's Supper, we understand in a way the Lord's Supper, the new covenant meal for the people of God. Now, if you are not a Christian, please listen to me. I couldn't be any more serious at this point. There is continuity between the Passover and the Lord's Supper. You need to understand that this warning that God issues here, this caution in Numbers 9, in a very real sense... That continues on to new covenant and that there is a warning associated with the Lord's Supper and a warning for you and for me. Do you know that in the New Testament, in the letter of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul speaks and he speaks about the meal and he says, basically, if your heart is not right and not as it should be and you, like here, are showing disdain to God that if you partake in communion, now listen to what he says. Paul says, if, if you eat and, and drink, then you eat and drink judgment on yourself. Now you can see why I'm being serious and the tone is, is, is hard. If you're not a Christian, I tell you this, I will pray every day this week, as well the Christians here, that you, you come to church next week. We pray all the time that if you're not a believer that you will come into this place and I will be praying for you, pleading that God brings you to church next Sunday. But you've got to listen to me. Don't touch bread. Don't drink the wine. Leave it. Let it pass you by. It might seem a bit awkward if other people around you are taking the bread, taking the wine. But if you do that, what does God say to you in the New Testament, to the New Testament church? He says what you are doing is incurring his displeasure. And not just for the end of all time, but you are incurring displeasure, his judgment on you in this life now. So there is application here for, for next Sunday, but, but come on, you know, two applications, maybe you know where I'm going. There's application for next Sunday, but there's application for eternity as well here. Don't you think? Isn't that the case? Because yes, I've got to continue to speak to you if you are not a Christian, but I do have a, a question to ask you. Friend, this morning, as, as we read this, and as you hear this sermon, and you think about Numbers 9, here's my question to you if you're not a Christian. Do you not see yourself in the text? If you're not trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
Do you not see yourself in Numbers chapter 9? Do you not understand this morning, if you're not a Christian, that you are the person that God is warning in Numbers 9 verse 13? You think about the parallels. You are a person who is today camped amongst the covenant community, camped amongst the people of God. You have, as an unbeliever today, through the beautiful grace of God, you have opportunity to feast on the Passover lamb by faith the Lord Jesus Christ today. And by your rebellion, by your hardness towards God, by your lack of faith, like in Numbers 9.13, you are choosing not to do that. What does that mean? Do you see what it means? Unless that changes, unless you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God then I have to say to you, in the end of all things, on the last day, in the final reckoning, then you are set to be cut off from God and cut off to face his eternal judgment. So we see we see continuing opportunity and we see continuing offense. And then the last thing this morning, we see the continuing openness of the feast the continuing openness of the feast. Here, all we're doing is dealing with the last stipulation, the last command that God gives. So again, I promised that I would do this. So I'm going to ask you to please read one verse with me. So would you look at verse 14, please? Even the boys and girls, verse 14. Let's read it carefully. So God says, And if a stranger, so we're dealing with a stranger, if a stranger sojourns, uh, with you and this stranger to keep the Passover according to the statute of the Passover and according to the and then God says about the stranger so shall he do you shall have one statue and it's for the sojourner and it is for the native now again I think everybody gets what's happening here God is extending an invitation listen he's opening up the Passover but I think you and I have got to be really careful about who is being invited to this feast what do you think when when you hear stranger your sojourner what are you thinking like think about the wilderness situation are you thinking about maybe it's a passing bloke and a camel you know some merchants passing by for a moment is God saying people of God invite him into the Passover is that it? Is it even maybe a Bedouin type traveling people who are going to be near Sinai for a week? God said, just invite them over for a meal. They can come in for the Passover. Is that it? Is that what you're thinking? Not that at all. And here to explain this, what I'm going to do, just use an illustration. I'm going to use Harrison as an illustration. This, two birds killed with one stone because I get to explain this and embarrass our assistant minister as well. But you know Harrison. Now you think about Harrison. Think about what Harrison has done in order to take this job. What has Harrison done? Harrison, in a sense, has had to leave behind what he knows. He leaves behind America. He leaves behind its ways, its customs, its practices. And then what does he do? Because there's another side to it. Harrison, in order to take this job, has to immerse himself into British culture leaves behind America, comes over here, has to immerse himself in our practices, as odd as they might be, all of our practices, all of our ways, and he does that in order to best serve the God that he loves. Do you see it? That's what we're dealing with here. This idea of a stranger, this idea of a sojourner, what is it? It's not just a passing merchant. The idea here is a resident 
alien. Does everyone get it? So you're dealing with a foreigner, an outsider, if we'll allow that. But these are people who are turning their back in that pagan nation, whatever it might be. Turning their back on those practices. And they are immersing themselves in the people of Israel. So these are people who will be circumcised. People who will worship the living God at the tabernacle. These are people who will obey or seek to obey the law of God. And because of that, don't you think... Don't you think it's so wonderful what God says to these people? Outsiders, he says effectively one word. He says, come the lamb. He says, come. He says, welcome. You can come to the Passover feast. Like despite the fact that you might be an outsider, despite the fact that you might be a foreigner, despite the fact that you might not be of the right lineage, come. Despite the fact God has no real obligation to these people at all. He says, welcome, welcome, come. Come and eat of the Passover lamb. Now you know, don't you, that this clearly foreshadows the gospel going out into the new covenant. You know, not just for an ethnic people, going out to the ends of the earth. You know that. Look at us and how varied we are from all parts of the world. But I want to end this sermon the same way as I've gone through this whole sermon. I want to speak to you if you're not saved and not in Christ Jesus. I've got one question to end with. Is this. You ready for it? Do you feel like an outsider when you come in here? Like really, is it an intimidating thing to do to come to this church? You don't feel that you are like the people here. You feel that you've almost got to pretend that you're almost a hypocrite. Like you, you feel almost like that you don't have the lineage. You don't have a church upbringing. You're not a Presbyterian reformed. You feel as an outsider. And because of that, you do not feel like you can come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that where you're at? Is it? You must hear this. That the same God who speaks there speaks today in the gospel. Do you see what is happening right now as I speak to you? The Lord God surely extends that one word, the same word, and he says to you what? Come. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Come. Come to the Passover lamb. God says you are welcome here. Repent. Believe. Come to this Passover lamb. Have your fill. Be satisfied. Be nourished in the only way that Jesus can nourish you. Friend, I sincerely hope You see today who the Lord Christ is. He is the lamb who was slain. He was slain for sin. Slain in twilight. Slain without a bone broken in his body. Slain to save his people from judgment. And slain so that his blood would flow and bring life and safety and deliverance to the people of God. Maybe... If you came through the doors earlier on, not trusting in Christ, maybe you don't leave this place until you seek him and you feast on him by faith. Because who is he? He is the efficacious. He is the eternal. He is the spotless and available Paschal Lamb of Almighty God. Friends, let's bow our heads and let's pray. How we seek you as a covenant community, Lord God, we pray to you, pleading with you to work your great work of salvation in people's hearts. Lord God, we know there is nothing that we can do to effect change in a dead, a cold soul. 
But we know, Lord God, that you have worked in us. You have taken us from hearts of stone. And by your working of grace through your Holy Spirit and word, you have made our hearts flesh and believing and resting in Christ. How we pray, Lord, that even now that you would convict people of sin that people would see sin is not a laughing matter, that it is serious because it infinitely offends an infinitely holy and perfect God. It separates us from you, that they would see sin, but that they would see the beauty of Christ Jesus. Lord God, we thank you that you have sent amongst us your Passover lamb. We thank you for the deliverance, but would you, would you please invite people? Would you call people? to your meal today. And we pray in Christ's name and for his name's sake. Amen.